Hi, my name is Jennifer and I'm one of the spiritual overseers here at Cornerstone Church. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you would relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering as you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever, amen. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now I would like to introduce to you our special guest speaker, the Apostle Peter. Greetings, Cornerstone Church scattered around the world. As Jen just said, I'm the Apostle Peter, and it is a pleasure to meet you. Grace and peace to you. I'd like to greet you with the words that I used when I wrote my first letter to the the Christians scattered around Turkey in my day. What I wrote to them, I also say to you, God the Father knew each of you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Christ Jesus. May God give you more grace and more peace so when your pastor bill invited me to come and speak to you from the um, the end of my first letter um, as we talked he kind of let it let me know that it was it was actually his wife marla's idea um, to invite me to come and so evidently if um if you really like this this time then thank marla and if you really don't like this message, you can still thank Marla. So Pastor Bill asked me to 
talk about what I wrote a long, long time ago at the end of my first letter to the Christians scattered around Turkey. And can I tell you just from the very beginning, I'm like utterly amazed that anything that I did, that anybody would look at it like after my life, much less that you would be looking and listening to what I wrote 2,000 years after I wrote it. Um, people seem to forget that me and my buddies, we really were very, very ordinary. We were, I mean, we were ordinary fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. It's the first time I met Jesus, it, it was kind of random. Um, we, had, um, we went down to Bethany for the weekend to visit some friends, my brother Andy and I. And, um, and Andy was listening to um, that new, that new um, John the Baptizer, that new prophet. And he'd been listening to, them, to him. And at one point, he was with John the Baptizer. And, and a man walked by. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And so Andy ran and caught up, found out it was Jesus, and, um, and spent a little bit of time with Jesus. And then Andy came to find me. And, um, and I remember he, he kind of came up a little breathlessly. He was running, Pete, Pete, Pete. You know how little baby brothers do that? Pete, Pete, Pete. <laughs> we found the Messiah. Well, I, people said that all the time, so I didn't really you know, pay much attention to that. But he said, we got to go. I want to I want to introduce you to him. So we went and found Jesus. And um, before he said a word, before he I said anything, Jesus looked at me and said, you are called Simon. You will be called Peter. That's a little bit weird. Um, I don't know whether you know this, but you actually can know more about me um, than any of the other original 12 apostles of Jesus. Um, and, and the name my parents gave me was Simon, and it does mean like blade of grass or reed. And so grass just kind of blows here and there without a lot of purpose. And if I have to be really, really honest, that kind of described my life up until Jesus. Jesus said, you've been, you've been known or, or you're called Simon, but you will be called Peter. And the word Peter means rock. And um, nobody ever was called rock before. But Peter said, or, or Jesus said, you'll be called Peter. And if you look at my life through the New Testament, you can actually see that transition and transformation for me very slowly of transforming from being a blade of grass, a reed that blows around everywhere, into a rock that is a solid foundation. Well, we didn't, I mean, we had to go back up to Galilee. So, um, so we went back home and, um, and um, Andy and I and James and John, um, the Zebedee boys, um, we, were, we were partners in a fishing operation. And so the next week we were, we were um, we'd been out fishing overnight. We didn't catch a single fish the whole night, hardly anything. It was just an utter waste of time. And so that morning we were kind of a little bit kind of frustrated and cleaning up our nets and getting them kind of put in order so we could go out the next night um, because we always fished at night. And, um, and Jesus shows up with a small crowd um, following along beside him. And so Jesus started teaching the small crowd. 
And then little by little, the crowd got a little bit bigger and we were doing our work um, right there on the shore um, and kind of casually listening to Jesus at the same time. But as the crowd got bigger, um, Jesus came, just walked over and he, he stepped inside of our boat and said, could you guys push out a little ways so that I could do, so I can keep teaching? I mean, like, what are we gonna do? He's already in the boat. So um, yeah, I didn't want to disrespect him. So of course, you know, Andy and I pushed out and Jesus um, continued teaching. And to tell you the truth, it was like, we were like a captive audience. One of the only place we could go is like sitting in the front pew of a church. And so we had to listen as Jesus finished up his teaching. And, um, and then when he finished, he said, hey guys, put on the deep water. Let's go catch some fish. And I kind of, I rolled my eyes at him. Okay, I was tired from not catching any. Who does, I mean, I knew he was a carpenter. And who's this carpenter to think that he actually knows how to fish better than the professionals? But again, we didn't want to disrespect him. So, so we put out there and he said, yeah, put your nets down here. And, um, and, and we did. Um, and you wouldn't believe how many fish hit our nets so fast that, that it just, they just started sinking the nets. And so we yelled back, James, Johnny, get out of here. Get your butts out of here. We got, a, we got so many fish. And so they came out and they helped us bring the fish in. And, um, and, and, and we got them all on the shore. We got out of the boats. And, um, and it kind of hit me. This Jesus was way out of my league. And so I... I got, I mean, I fell down on my knees in front of him. I said, sir, <laughs> depart from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence, whoever you are and whatever you are. And then Jesus lifted me up from my knees and said another one of those bombshells that he dropped on me that another one that change, would change my life. And he said, Simon, don't be afraid. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And so all four of us, we just decided then and there. We left our nets, and we became followers of Jesus. You know, I think about it, um, thought about it afterwards, and, and <laughs> the whole idea that, that I would roll my eyes at the Messiah is kind of bizarre, right? Um, you know, he's the one who created the universe. And I think I know more about sheep fishing than he was supposed to know. Um, it was strange. Let me just say that. It was strange. Um, now, 2,000 years later, people like you are reading what the Holy Spirit kind of shared for me to share with scattered Christians. People really don't understand. I mean, they called us hicks from the sticks. I mean, fishermen way up from Galilee, um, we were nobodies. The, um, I, I mean, I was that reed blowing back and forth. And I was always the one sticking my foot in my mouth, trying to advise, you know, like the Messiah, the Son of God. I was always, I was the one who was trying to, you know, tell him when he made mistakes and give him an idea how to do things better. Um, I was that, that apostle. And for three years, Jesus discipled us. And we had all kinds of experiences together. We watched his miracles. Um, 
I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration when he met with Elijah and Moses. And again, of course, at the end, I'm thinking I was so smart. I said, hey, here's how we ought to mark this celebration, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, actually, I don't, don't want you to tell anybody. But then at the end of our three years, Jesus was arrested. Well, actually, the night before we had the Last Supper and and Jesus was talking about dying, and I'd already tried to correct him on that before. Um, but I, I boldly said, you know, I will die with you. Even if everybody else abandons you, I will die with you. But that night, um, I denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I betrayed him, I abandoned him when he needed me the most. And then a few days later, Jesus rose from the dead, which was, of course, utterly amazing. But I was pretty sure that I wouldn't be part of it. And you know what? On that same part of the shore of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus had first stepped into our boats like three years before and told us, go catch fish, that same part of the shore after he rose from the dead, Jesus met us there. And he called me aside and we walked a little bit. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And I said, yes, Lord, I, I do love you. Even though I denied you, I love you. And he asked me a second time, Peter, do you love me? And I said, yes. And the third time, Peter, do you love me? And I said, yes. And at first I was kind of getting my feelings hurt. And then I realized that Jesus was restoring me and letting me express my love for him. Not once, not twice but three times to redeem me. And then Jesus did the like most astounding thing. He said, Peter, feed my sheep. And then I spent the rest of my life, I got to preach the, the message on the day of Pentecost. And, and I was one of the leaders of the, the, the baby church. Um, traveled all over the place by the time I was done. I ended up in Rome. That's where I wrote my two letters to the scattered Christians. Um, and eventually ended up on Nero's execution list. And I, I know that all of you have been through a lot of changes and upheaval in 2020. This COVID-19 thing and social distancing and school and job upheavals, economic upheaval, racial injustice, the climate crisis, political upheaval, um, the whole Brianna Taylor acquittals that just happened this week. You've been a lot through a lot in 2020. Believe me when I say I've been there. I know what that feels like. My world was turned upside down time and time again. And that's why I wrote my two letters to the Christians scattered throughout Turkey, so that in all the upheavals of their lives, the followers of Jesus could stand strong and firm and secure in, in all the things that did change, that the followers of Jesus would stand firm on the things that didn't change. Like your goal at Cornerstone Church that I've heard about, that you want to become more resilient. Um, stronger disciples 
in every one of life's circumstances. So today I just want to share with you five commitments that I mentioned in, in 1 Peter 5 um, that train and strengthen us to be resilient followers of Jesus who can thrive in every life circumstances. Because, you know, we, we may not get to choose the changes that come into our lives, but we always get to choose the commitments that we will accept when those changes come into our lives. And we can choose, we can commit to the kinds of practices that will shape us to become more resilient, stronger followers of Jesus. So let me just, I'll tell you the five, the five commitments, and then I'll give you some, I'll, I'll walk you through each one with some examples from my life. Number one, be a shepherd who helps people grow. Number two, be humble to let God lift you up. Number three, be free. Give God all of your burdens. Number four, be alert to defeat your enemy, the devil. And five, be confident. God is at work. So how do we become resilient? First thing I share in, in chapter five of my first letter is be a shepherd who helps people grow. I wrote the first four verses of, of 1 Peter 5 to spiritual overseers, to elders, to spiritual leaders in the church. And I, I told them some really important things. And you have spiritual overseers at Cornerstone Church. They've actually read these verses of mine and they try to live out these verses and these instructions that I gave them. Um, and so I tell the spiritual overseers to watch over the flock that God has entrusted to you. And, and I was very, I was specifically talking to them, but then over the centuries, I figured out that most Christians read these first four verses and they think, I'm not a spiritual overseer, I'm not an elder, it doesn't apply to me. That's not true. These four verses apply to everybody. The whole reason the Apostle Paul and I tell, tell Christian leaders to be examples to their followers is so their followers will become like them. So everything that Paul and I talk about for Christian leaders is what we're convinced that every Christian is supposed to grow into. And so I would tell you that um, the first commitment, if you want to be a more resilient, stronger follower of Jesus, is be a shepherd. Care for those that God has entrusted to you. Because once we start caring for others, then we really start to grow. One of the reasons that Christians say stay as baby Christians and immature for so long is they never accept the responsibility to help other people grow. And you've got that in your cornerstone mission statement. One of the things you say is that you exist to equip one another to have a transforming life with Jesus. That means that one of the reasons you exist as a church is to help other people grow in Christ. And Jesus never envisioned the church to be filled with disciples. Read the, the, the Great Commission, and you'll see that Jesus envisioned the church to be filled with disciple makers. And that's when we really start to grow strong and secure and resilient. When we become shepherds, when we commit that we will help the other people, whether they're in our 242 group or our friends or, or our, our fellow students or fellow workers or our family or our spouse, we really become resilient and strong 
when we start to help other people grow in Christ. And so if you look at those verses, you'll see that I gave some instructions for specific ways for how to do that. And all kinds of things will happen once you commit to help other people grow in Christ. You will become stronger. But I want you to note something very important. When you commit to be a shepherd and help other people grow, as I say in verse 4, when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. If you will commit to be a disciple, when the great shepherd comes, you will receive a crown of glory. And that cannot change because that's a promise from God himself. So number one, you want to be more resilient. You want to be a stronger follower of Jesus. Be a shepherd. Help other people grow. Number two, be humble to let God lift you up. In verses 5 and 6, I wrote, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The irony isn't lost on me that me, the Apostle Peter, the most arrogant, the most cocksure of all of the, the original 12, it's not, the irony is not lost to me that I'm talking about humility. The reason I talk about it isn't because I've got it. Because, like I said before, I'm the one who told Jesus after he met with Moses and Elijah what he ought to do next. I'm the one when Jesus talked about dying, I told him he shouldn't, he shouldn't talk about that. That was just wrong. I'm the one who rolled my eyes at the Messiah when he said, put your, your nets a little further out. I'm also the one that when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm the one who ripped out my sword and swung it at the high priest's servant and cut off Malchus's ear. Sorry, Malchus, because um, I always thought I knew what I was doing. And I usually thought, or <laughs> I usually acted before I thought. And I thought about it. If I hadn't been committed to become more humble, then I would have been so arrogant of my Jewish theology that I would have never, after God sent me that dream, I would have never gone to Cornelius's house. And if I hadn't gone to Cornelius's house and told them about Jesus, I wouldn't have seen the Holy Spirit poured out on the Gentiles. I would have missed all of that glory. So, The truth is, I find it hard to submit to others out of reverence to Christ, as our friend Paul wrote. I especially don't submit when I disagree or I don't understand or I want control. My first response is not humility, which is why I talk a lot about humility. Um, I have to work on it constantly. And I've learned that when I try to raise myself up, when I try to puff myself up, when I try to make myself heard, when I, when I always think that I know the right thing without checking with the, the Father above, 
God actually resists me. God resists the proud. Now, I don't know how your pride might work out, um, but I do know that pride is in almost every human being, so it's probably in you somewhere. You can keep your pride. You can keep being cocksure of yourself. You can keep your control, but if you do, then God has to resist you. And so I want to encourage, if you want to be a resilient disciple, find ways to let others be heard first. Ask more questions. Let your words be fewer and fuller. When, when there are fights going on in your culture and your world, find a third voice, where the voice is that, that rise, raises up those who, who nobody else is listening to. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And here's the thing that cannot change if you will do that. God will lift you up in due time. God will lift you up. So if you want to be a more resilient disciple, number one, be a shepherd who helps other people grow. And number two, commit yourself to clothing yourself in humility. Number three, if you want to be a resilient follower of Jesus, um, the third thing that I talk about in, in my last chapter of my, my first um, letter is be free. Be free. Give God all your burdens. I wrote it there in verse 7, um, where I wrote, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. You know, the Apostle Paul and I tangled every once in a while. Um, I'm actually a little embarrassed. He says the same things in, in his letter to the Philippian church. And if I'm really, really honest, I kind of think he probably said it better than me. That's where he said, the Apostle Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul and I are simply reflecting what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, can all your worries add even a single moment to your life? We know from our lived experience that our anxieties and our fears and our worries and our burdens, they subtract from our lives. Guys, I had a lot of stress in my life. Um, I had family stresses. Um, my mother-in-law lived with us. And, um, and every time there's, the roof started to leak just a little bit, she gave me that look as if it was my fault that those four guys cut the hole in, in the roof of my house and lowered that guy down so he could um, be healed by Jesus. But I mean, I'm a, yeah, that's just a, it's just a, a minor thing. There were people after me for decades of my life, especially after Stephen was killed and James, John's brother, um, was put to death. And I was, I, I lose track of the number of times I was thrown in prison. Um, I had a lot to be anxious about. But I kept trying to learn how to make my requests known to God, to give God all of my burdens, not some of them, but all of my burdens, so that he could care for me. Because you know the problem, when we carry our anxieties and our burdens and our fears, we get trapped inside of our own heads and inside of a, a small life. 
and we're not doing the more glorious things that Jesus wants us to do. So Jesus says, give me all your burdens. I will care for you. And that is another thing that, that cannot change. It is a promise from God that if we give him our burdens, he will care for us. Well, number four, and let me try to move a little bit quicker here. Um, if you want to be a resilient disciple, as I say in verses eight and nine, be alert, be alert to defeat our enemy, the devil. I write it, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering as you are. You may remember the time when Jesus specifically told me that Satan was coming after me. It was in the upper room during the Last Supper when I'd said, Jesus, I will go die, I will go and die with you and for you. And Jesus looked at me and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It's not the only time that Satan came after me. Satan's constantly coming after all of us who follow Jesus because Satan loves to, to, to defeat us and to destroy us. We are in a spiritual battle. And your spiritual battle in 2020 is just as real as the spiritual battles in my life. It's a good reminder. Our enemy wasn't Judas who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was the devil who caused Judas to fall and then destroyed him. Our enemy wasn't the, the Pharisees. It wasn't the Sanhedrins. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the Zealots. Our enemy was the devil. And I hear in your, your day and age that so many people think that the enemy is the other political party or one particular political leader or another one, or one country or a different country or one race or a different race. Our enemies, and again, our friend Paul said it so well, we battle not against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities and powers in high places. Our enemy is the devil. And if we forget that, he will defeat us. So stand firm. Resist the devil. He is trying to destroy you. But something that, that we found in, my, in, my, in the church, in my generation, and, and lots of your, your thinkers have realized this over the years in the church, Satan can't abide being resisted. When we resist Satan, as James said, when we resist Satan, Satan flees. When we stand strong in our faith and resist our enemy, he can't take it and he hightails it out and runs away. I think it reminds Satan of when Jesus made a mockery over him when Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. So for all of his, his bluster, when we resist the devil, the devil will flee. So let's stand strong in our faith and let us resist him. 
because we've got Jesus and Jesus has already won the victory and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world which means stand firm resist the devil and you will overcome the enemy and that's something else that cannot change because our victory is already won by Jesus and then number five and finally in first Peter 5 I urge you to be confident because God is at work what I wrote in verses 10 and 11 in the first century I also speak to you in his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus so after you have suffered a little while he God will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation all power to him forever amen be confident because God is at work one of the times that I was most confident was when Jesus was walking on the water and I saw I figured out it was Jesus I said if it's really you then invite me to come out let me walk on the water to you and Jesus said come and so I in the middle of the Sea of Galilee I got out of the boat I started to walk to Jesus and um, then I saw the waves and I got really scared and I started to sink and I said help save me and Jesus reached down and lifted me up well all my friends kind of kind of ribbed me about that about how silly it was that I couldn't walk on the water to Jesus and so after a while I just told him hey guys I at least got out of the boat I was so confident in Jesus that I got out of the boat you guys never got out of the boat I may not have done it in the perfect way but I experienced walking on water because I was willing to get out of the boat when we are confident that God is at work then we can step out of the boat that is our security and is our prison so I want to encourage you God is at work even in 2020 God is at work and we can be confident in him and he will place us on a firm foundation so in conclusion I know that there are lots of changes that you've been through in this year and odds are pretty good that more are coming your way this year and next year and certainly across the decades of your lives we don't often get to choose the changes that come into our lives but as followers of Jesus we always get to choose the commitments that we will make in the face of the changes brothers and sisters as I wrote in my second letter God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him who has called you so in 2020 when your culture and your world is weak and lost and a reed blowing back and forth and unstable you as the followers of Jesus can be the rocks you can stand firm you can stand strong you can bring the justice and the grace and the wisdom that your world your friends your culture your workplaces your schools you can be resilient disciples 
of Jesus to speak to the world. So I want to say, say this to you. You've got this because you've got Jesus and Jesus has you. You've got this. And actually, 2020 could well be one of the most significant and glorious years of your life. So, to be resilient, commit to be a shepherd who helps people grow. To be humble, to let God lift you up. To be free, give God all your burdens. To be alert, to defeat our enemy, the devil. And to be confident that God is at work. And so I close with these words from, from the end of my first letter. I have written this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are, you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon, Rome, your sister church here sends you greetings. So does my son, Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. I hope to see every single one of you someday at the pearly gates. The Apostle Peter, over and out. Bye.